This week's parsha is Parshas B'Shalach, Shabashira. As a section of the Shira, Klal Yisrael sings the following Pasuk, Hashem Ish Melchama, Hashem Shemay. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a man of war, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is his name. What does that mean? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is an Ish Melchama, he's a warrior, and Hashem is his name. So Rashi explains beautifully, Af bishashu nilcham v'naike me'ayvav, even during the time that he's an Ishmael Chama, even during the time that he has the ability to exact revenge against his enemies, when he's an Ishmael Chama, simultaneous to being an Ishmael Chama, at the very same time that he's engaged in battle, Hashem Shemait. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is still Hashem. He still has Rachamim. Eichez hu b'midasai. L'rachem abrua v'lazun es kol b'ayalam. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu is engaged in battle against his enemies, he doesn't stop feeding humanity at the same time. He doesn't stop healing humanity. He doesn't stop having compassion with people. He's able to do two things at once. He's able to be a, a mighty warrior and be angry, Kaviyachal, against the enemies and exact vengeance against them. But at the same time, he doesn't become all consumed by that midah of Nekama, but he's able to still at the very same moment have sympathy, compassion, pity on the rest of the people that are not enemies of the Rabbi Nishalom, and he's able to do both. Rashi continues, This is something that's entirely at odds with the Malche Adama, with leaders of the world. A normal leader, a president, a king, a prime minister, if it's a war that he's busy with, or she's busy with, and they're all in, they have to constantly be occupied with all of the strategies of war, with all the plans, with all of the issues that war brings. And a person has to be very focused. If you're a general, if you're a president, if you're a leader, you can't have other things on your mind. So it's understandable that a regular flesh and blood leader, he can't do two things at once. At the time that he's busy with war, it's very hard for him to have compassion on the poor and on other people that need favors from him and need him to have sympathy on them. He can't do two things at once. He can't multitask. He has to do one thing and one thing with all of his focus and with all of his might. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is different. And this is what Klal Yisrael was singing when they were extolling the virtues of the Rabbi Nishleilam. You're an Ish Melchama. 
But even when you're an Ish Melchama Hashem Shema, you're still able to have the shame Hashem. The shame Hashem is the shame of Rachamim. You're still somehow amazingly able to do both at the same time. You can be an Ish Melchama, and at the same time you're able to have sympathy on people, even though that's something that we as human beings have a very hard time to do. I once heard in Shir from Rav Shlomo Erbach, he was talking about certain Agadita and the Gemara in, in, in Makis that we were learning, and Agav, he started telling us a, a vart on Zmira Shabbos. He says that in the Friday night Zemmer of Kol Mekadesh, and it's a good vart to remember because if you ever buy somebody on Shabbos on Friday night and they ask you for a barter and you're you know, you didn't have a chance to prepare one, so you can always say a Vardan's Miris, because you're singing Zmiris, and it's always, uh, it's always appropriate. So if you notice in the Friday night Zemmer Shabbos of Kalmakadish, it says, Meshoich chastach al yaydecha kel We're asking HaKadosh to extend, to be Meshoich chesed, to give passion, compassion and, and sympathy Chesed, kindness, liyadecha to call yourself to those that know you intimately. Be kind to us. Be compassionate to us. And how do we describe the Rabbi Nishayim in that sentence? Kel tanei v'naikim. You have to who who is angry and vengeful. You're a kel tanei You take vengeance against your enemy. We're asking you to have kindness with us. Now, Rabbi Shalman asks, this seems a little bit odd. If you're going over to a king and you're asking him to have mercy on you, to have pity on you, to have kindness, would I describe him as being a vengeful God? As being a vengeful person? I'm going to my boss. And I say, listen, I really need you to give me a little bit of a break. I'm having a hard time. Give me a raise in my salary. Give me a, you know, have some sympathy. Have some compassion on me. What would I say? I would say to him, you're such a nice person. You're such a good guy. You're such a compassionate, sympathetic person. Have sympathy on me. Would I say to him, you're the meanest, toughest boss I've ever had. Have compassion on me. It's ridiculous. Why would you say that? The Zemmer should have read, kel is that, a, is that normal to ask the Rabbi Shalom for chesed and at the same time describe him as a Kalkane v'naikim? So Rabbi Shalom says, based on this Rashi that we just cited, on the Shira, Hashem Yishmochama, Hashem Shemai, we understand what the Zemmer is telling us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is unique in his ability to simultaneously have the Midah of Chesed and Rachamim, and at the same time be a Kalkana Vinaykim. While he's being a Kalkana Vinaykim, he is unique that he's still able to have Midah of Chesed. With all the Bruim, he could still be Mephanis, everybody. He could still have sympathy, compassion, pity, mercy, while he's being a Kalkana Vinaykim. So the Balzemer is saying an added Shevach of the Rabbi Shalom. It's not a Chiddush to say, so Rabbi Shalom, give me compassion because you're a compassionate God, because of course, obviously. 
but we're giving like a bonus praise for Rabbi Nisham. We're telling Rabbi Nisham, you who are so unique that even when you're a Kalkane Vinaykin, you're able to have sympathy, have sympathy on us. It's an added layer of Shabbat to the Rabbi Nisham. That we're giving him the fact that you're a Kalkane Vinaykin, and yet, at that very moment, you're still able to be Moshe Chesetas. Now we know that there's a, a very important mitzvah on the Torah of Alachta Bidrachav, that we're supposed to follow the Rabbi lead. When we learn things about the Rabbi we're not supposed to just be in awe of the Rabbi and say, wow, he's God and we're not. We are supposed to follow his lead. And when we see elements of the Rabbeinu Shalom and how great he is, we're supposed to somehow try to emulate those midas. Mahu racha mechananach, ata racha mechananach, mevaker chayel, the Gemara speaks about at the, for, at the end of the first paragraph of Saita, He's, he does bigger chayel, we're supposed to do bigger chayel, he's malava amaze, we're supposed to, he does all types of chesed and rachamim and things, we're supposed to follow the Rabbeinu Shalom. And I think this is no exception. If we find about the Rabbi Nishleim that he is able to micro, to multitask and to do two things simultaneously, even though they seem at odds with each other, we are also expected, or we should expect from ourselves, this ability to do both. I was thinking of good cases to uh, bring as rias to this where we find that Gedalim are able to do battle and at the same time have compassion. I saw recently a Misa about Rabbi Yisuf Chaim Zunfeld. Rabbi Yisuf Chaim Zunfeld was what you would probably describe as one of the Kanoim of Eretz Yisrael. During the earlier days of the, of the Medina, so Rabbi Yisuf Chaim Zunfeld was um, one of the people that were very vigilant in their in the battles against the the uh, the people that he considered to not be on the right track in terms of being Zionistic. Nothing wrong with being Zionistic, but in terms of being Zionistic as as a religion and not being Shemir Torah Mitzvahs, but making Zionism. Your new Tyre and Mitzvah. He was very vigilant. He was very, he was extremely, extremely focused on trying to stop that movement from taking root in Eretz Yisrael. As were many others. But yet, as, as much as he was an Ishmael Chama against this, I saw once that he was coming out of a building and there was a, a parade of Israeli youth, boys and girls, and they were marching in a parade. I don't think that, the, that they were dressed to Tzniyistik, and they were singing Zionistic songs, and you would probably expect Rabbi Yisrael Chaim Zunfeld to do something very extreme, to maybe start screaming at them, but instead he said to himself, and the person that was with him heard him, he said the following, 
Yosef Hashem Kachem Elef Pa'amim. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu increase you a thousand times V'yivarech Eschem and bless you. Which means that even though he was a zealot, even though he was an Ishmael Chama, but he maintained that love, that sympathy, it never got to him. It never made him angry at the individual people. He loved them. But he just felt that when he was fighting a battle, he had to do it, but personally he had no vengeance. Personally he was Hashem Shemai, he was not Hashem, he was, but he was Eiches B'midosai. He was still able to be a Balchesed. He was still able to be merciful and compassionate. He was full of love. His heart was not hateful. He did both at the same time. He was able to be a very big Gibar in Mohama, but at the same time maintain his Chesed. I saw a Misa, I think I've said it before here, but it's such a great story. The Satma Rebbe was also one of these very big Kanoim. I don't think there was a bigger Kanoim, in fact, than the Satma Rebbe, of Yael Teitelbel. He was a person that was fiercely anti-Zionism. If you look in the Sefer Divrei Yael, he brings many, many times how terrible he felt this movement was, and he felt that it undermined the very basis of, of Klal Yisrael and Taira. He felt that it was going to be the ruin of Klal Yisrael. That's how he felt. He had his opinion, and he was, he was a Gadol Adar. He had, certainly had the right to have his opinion, whether all the Gedalim agreed with him, they didn't. But he had his own position, and that's what it was. So, there was a certain Israeli journalist who used to write terrible, scathing articles every week in the newspaper, and very often he would rape the Samarebbe over the coals. He would basically make a mochama against the Samarebbe. How dare he say this about the Medina? How dare he say this against, against Jews? And what are you, his mamish, and, you know, speaking very personally against the Samarebbe. Now, this journalist had a wife who became very ill. She had Yenem and They had to come to America. He was an Israeli. They came to America, and they needed to give her treatment. So those, in those days, in Eretz Israel, the hospitals were very schwach, and they didn't have all of the modern medicine that they do today. Today, Eretz Israel, people fly to Eretz Israel for treatments. But in those days, it wasn't like that. And America had all the greatest doctors and all the technology here. So he came to America... And he discovered that in America you need a lot of money to be able to have the medical treatment. In Eretz you have Kupat Cholim, everything is socialized. In America you need insurance. If you don't have insurance, every time a doctor comes in or a nurse comes in and gives a, gives a shot, puts a Band-Aid on you, it costs $200. Not to mention having surgeries, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars, and obviously he didn't have it. He was a, you know, he was a, a regular journalist. He was not a wealthy man. And so he came to America, his wife needed these treatments, and she needed surgeries, and he had no money. He didn't have the money to pay for it. So a friend of his said, okay, you're going to have to go and get the money. He says, great, where do I get the money from? He says, you're going to have to, you know, take charity. He says, okay, where do I take charity? Who's going to give me charity? He says, there's one address that you could go to, and that's the Satmarebbe. The Satmarebbe 
was a very wealthy Hasidus. He has, you know, tens of thousands of Hasidim. Many of them are very wealthy. They give him money and he distributes it to Tzedakah. Go to him and he'll, he'll take care of it. He says, Satma Rebbe? He says, are you kidding me? He says, if there's one human being in the world that I can't physically go before, it's a Satma Rebbe. You know what I do to him in my articles? He's going to kill me, literally. How do I go before the Satma Rebbe? I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to get to Williamsburg. I wouldn't be able to, like, they won't let me into the, into the, into, off the BQE. So they say, you have no braver. What are you going to do? Try. Not the, what's the worst case? What's the worst thing that can happen? Anyway, he goes to the Sam Rebbe, gets an appointment. He goes in, and the Sam Rebbe looks at him, and he says, what's your name? And he tells him his name. And the Sam Rebbe was very, very smart, and he knew who this person was. He hopped the whole thing in two seconds. And, and the person's thinking, okay, now he's going to lace into me. I'm finished. The Sam Rebbe says, so what are you here for? What, what can I do for you? He says, my wife is very sick, and I don't have insurance, and it's ex- extremely expensive, and it's going to cost this and this amount of money. So without batting an eyelash, the Sam Rebbe tells his Gabay, write him out a check for an astronomical sum. And he, uh, and he gives it to him, and he couldn't believe it, that after all he did to him in the papers, and, and he, he gave him the money, and then some... And then he says, and before you, before you leave America, I want you to come back to me, and, and I, I want to speak to you one more time. He says, ah, okay, that's when he's going to give it to me. Because now I'm, I'm still a Nebuch, but then once my life is better, then he's going to, that's when he's going to get his Makama against me. And so, anyway, he went for the, the wife had treatments, and Baruch Hashem, she went into remission, everything was good, and he was about to go to the airport to go home like a year later, and he says, listen, it's not nice. I, the Sam Rebbe told me that I should come back. He was the one that enabled this whole refuah to take place. Without him, I would not know what I would do. And I owe him at least that. Let me go back to him. But knowing full well that he's probably going to be shechted then. And he goes back to the Sam Rebbe. And the Sam Rebbe says, how did it go? And he says, Baruch Hashem, thank you so much. My wife is much better. And... Sam Rebbe said, the reason why I asked her to come back here was because I was, wanted to make sure that everything was good, but then also I realized that you're probably need, needing more money because all the money that I gave you was only for the treatments here, but in Eretz Yisrael you still have a mortgage to pay and you still have your kids' tuition and you still have... The, uh, the heating bills and the electrical bills and the phone bills, those didn't go away just because your wife is sick. How much is that? He says, you're serious? He says, yeah. I mean, you had no income for the past year. And he gave him another number that was crazy, and the Samarov again had a check written out for that amount. And this person was so amazed by the by the love that the Samarov had for him, that he never, ever wrote another article, obviously, about the Samarev. But the point of the story is, and there's so many things to take from such a story, but the point of, that we're taking, today at least, is that a person could be a very big Ishmochama. There was no bigger Ishmochama than the Rebbe. But he was able to, like the Rabbeinu Shalom, do two things at once. He was able to be a, a tremendous leichem, mochemes Hashem in his mind, 
and at the same time have a certain love and compassion for the very same person that he was being leichem against. It's possible for a human being, for a year to do such a thing. To have two competing, almost diametrically opposed emotions and to be able to have them in one person at the same time because that's what a, a yid can do. And this is something that we see also in this week's parish in another context. There's a famous Gemara in Megillah that says that the Malachim wanted to sing Shira when the Egyptians were drowning. Bikshu Malachi Ashari Shira and HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them a scathing rebuke. Are you serious? You want to sing Shira now? You see that my handiwork, the Egyptians that I created, they're drowning, they're suffering, and you want to sing a Shira? And so the Malachim got the point, and they didn't say Shira. They didn't sing Shira. So everybody asks the following question, okay, if this is what the Rabbani Shalom's attitude towards the Malachim singing Shira was, how do Klal Yisrael have the right to sing Shira? After all, this is Shabbat Shira, this is when we sang Az Yashir. Why didn't the Rabbani Shalom stop us? Why didn't he say, You have no right to sing Shira, you should be sad. If you see that my Maisa Yadai are dr- drowning in the sea. But yet, HaKadosh Baruch Hu welcomed the Shira. The Shira is a very part of our liturgy. Every single day, we say Az Yashir and Davenin. And the Shabbos, we're going to lay in it. And on Shri Shalpashach, we lay in the Shira. Shira is a major part of the Torah. Why is that not, uh, why didn't HaKadosh Baruch Hu clamp down on Klayas to all sing Shira? the same way that he did to the angels? This is a famous question. There are different ma'alachim, there are different terutzim. I want to tell you the vart, there are Elimeir Bloch, the Rashiva tells in Cleveland what he said. He said the following. The ma'alachim we know cannot do more than one mission in life. We know that there were three angels came to Abraham Avinu. Each and every one of them had their own mission. Why did the Rabbi Yisrael not just send one angel to do all three? The answer is that Ein Malach Echad Eiseh Each Malach has its own distinct Shlichus to do. It has its mission and that's it. Can't do more than one thing. It has one assignment and one assignment only. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you can't sing Shira and be upset at the same time. If you're going to sing Shira, you're going to be fully happy. But you can't be fully happy because they're drowning in the Yam. You can't just be happy. That's not what we are. We're not beings that are happy when we see somebody else drowning. Klal Yisrael, says Rebellion Mayor, is different. Klal Yisrael has the ability to be happy and to be sad at the very same time. A human being has that capacity. 
We could be happy. We could sing a shira to the Rabbi Yisholem out of personal gratitude and at the same time have sympathy and empathy for the drowning Egyptians. That's not a stira by a yid. A yid is able to do both at the very same time. It's the same part as Hashem Yishmucham Hashem Shemai. We're able to follow the Rabbi Yisholem and to do two things at once. We're not like angels. We're not limited to one emotion and one emotion only. We can have two seemingly opposite emotions, contradictory emotions, and we're somehow able to weave the two together and to be a human being with a heart that's full of simcha and with a heart that's full of tsar, and do that at once. That's the amazing thing about being a human being and being a yid, that we're able to have dual competing emotions and seamlessly weave them together. This is a Huaya Aimer verse. This is something that sometimes you hear a great Gadol say a Vart, and all of a sudden it hits you that it wasn't just a, an intellectual Vart, it was a, a, an autobiographical Vart. It was something that he lived himself, Rebellion Mayor Bluff. Rebellion Mayor was a Rashiva and tells in Europe, in Lithuania, before the war. And him, together with Ramato Katz, another Rashiva and Tals, they happened to be in America fundraising when the war in Europe broke out. And at the time, they didn't go back, obviously, they couldn't even get back if they would have wanted to, but they stayed in America and they ended up building the Tals Yeshiva in Cleveland. And at that time, they didn't have the communications that we have today, that we know everything going on in every single place at every single time. They didn't really know the fate of the city of Tells for many, many months, years maybe. And the fate of Tells we know, but they didn't know how the Nazis came in and liquidated the entire city on Nashim, Nashim Etaf, all the Bnei Yeshiva that were in the city, and all of the, the women, the wives of these Rosh Hashivas, the children, everybody was killed. They had no way of knowing that. They probably knew on a certain level that it probably wasn't a good story what was going on there, but they didn't know for certain. And they went along with their business. They built Cleveland. They built a, a yeshiva there. Today it's the famous yeshiva of Tells in Cleveland. It's a big, beautiful, impressive campus. That's where Mardachai Gifter eventually joined them and became Rosh Hashiva there. But they didn't know the fate of those Yidden of Tells until the winter of 1945. That's like Ramesh at the end of the Muhammad. And if you look at the sheer notes that Rebellion Mayor Bloch had written on a certain Mesechta, he writes a certain memo on the top of one page of the Shear Notes. Now, in Great Jewish Letters, I have this memo. I actually was able to contact the Rashiva of Tells in Chicago, of Levin, who was the Talmud Mubuk of Rebellion Mayor, and he had his Shear Notes. He had, I don't know if the originals or copies, and he was nice enough to send me a photocopy of this very page of the Shear Notes, which I have a picture of uh, in the book. But on the top of that day's notes, listen to what Rebellion Mayor writes. I am not able to concentrate on this writing as I should, for that which I feared has reached me. 
the terrible news of the death of my precious wife, who was wise and modest, as well as my brother, the Gain of Avram Yitzchak, he was the Rashiva tells, at the hands of the cursed German murderers. May Hashem avenge their blood and have mercy on his people. Then listen to what he writes. Should someone look at these writings, let him not judge me as callous and cruel for having delved into the words of Torah after receiving such terrible information. Meaning, you're going to read these notes, somebody in 2017 is going to look over my notes, see this, that I was able on the very same day that I heard about the fate of my family and Talmidim, I was able to still be Isaac and Chidush Torah and write these notes. What type of callous individual are we talking about? So Abelia says, don't judge me. Aside from the fact that the news did not surprise me, for the terrifying knowledge of what had transpired in Europe had already prepared me for this terrible news, I feel that I can never come to peace with myself without the toil of Tyra, without fulfilling the sacred duty that now falls upon the survivors. Having learned of my awful tragedy, my first call of duty must be laboring in Tyra. I am indebted, I am indentured to this, in the service of my people of what importance are the woes of the individual well, when compared to the duties of the cloud. So you see so beautifully how Ayameyer was able to feel these dual emotions at once and seamlessly integrate them into what he was. I think many of us, all of us, if we have a bad day, if something tragic happens to us, if we hear some terrible news, what do we do? We maybe go back to our dormitory rooms, or we take a walk, or we take a drive. We can't deal, can't go to Seder and learn and be mechadesh with a geshmak when we know that something so heavy is weighing upon ourselves. We can't. It's not physically, humanly possible. Rebellion Meir teaches us that it is possible. Difficult, it's impossible. But it's humanly possible to be able to bear the burden of such horrific news of Maisa Yadai Taivan Bayam, of understanding the depth of the tsara that finally was broken as news that I know now what happened. And at the same time be able to sing a shira to the Rabbi Shalom. At the very same time be able to engage in the shira which is the Taira. It's hard. It's very difficult. But a human being is able to do this. A malach can't do this. A malach is either one or another. We're, if we're in a bad mood, we're in a bad mood. If we're undergoing a terrible tzara, that's all we could worry about. That's all we could dwell on. When things are good, we learn, we daven, we sing shira, we revenge them in our many ways. That's how a malach operates. But a yid is able to do more than that. A yid is able to do two things at once to be engaged in a, in a deep tzara, while at the same time being able to engage in the shira of Tyra. Rav Shlomo Erbach was very, very close with his wife. 
You know, I say very close. Obviously, I think most people are close to their wives. It's their wife. Rabbi Shlomo Zaman was on a, he took it to a different level. He said by his wife's hesped famously that although the minig is to ask mechila from the nifter, from the nifteres, I'm breaking with tradition. I'm not asking anything. I'm not asking mechila from my wife. And there was like a murmur throughout the crowd. Why not? He says, because I was married to her for over 50 years and there's nothing to ask mechila. We never had any disagreements. There was no, uh, I don't have to ask her mechila, she doesn't have to ask me mechila, we abided by the Shulchan Aruch, and there's no, there's no machlekes. He was very close with his wife. But, as close as he was to her, when he heard of her death, it was on Shabbos. And, on Shabbos you're not supposed to be Babelos, you're not supposed to be Bitsar. So the entire Shabbos, from the moment that he heard the news, even though inside he was undoubtedly broken, if a person would see him externally, they wouldn't know that anything happened. He went to shul with his trademark signature smile. He learned Tyra. He was spending time with his family. Everything was as normal as could be. And they were worried about him his family. Like, why is he not even flinching? Nothing. And then came Abdullah. And at the moment that he finished Abdullah, he broke down and he just started bawling like a baby. Because a human being can do this. Now, it's not for everybody, but just to give us an understanding of how a human being can be godly, and to be an Ishmochama and Hashem Shemai, a person could be like the Rabbi Nishayim and have two opposite emotions and yet be able to do them simultaneously. Rabbi Shalom because Halacha dictates that on Shabbos you're not supposed to be Babelos and Bitzar, he didn't. Inside, yes. But externally he acted Shabbosic. Only once Shabbos was over did everything break and it was clear what he was holding in. But he was able to understand that Sarah of Bayam and at the same time sing a Shira. Ramesh Sharer was the legendary president of Agudas Yisrael of America and he was very close to all of Gedele Yisrael. And he gave a hesped for Avaron Cutler. And Avaron, of course, was the Gadla Dar. He was the Rosh Hashiva of the Dar. He was the Tzaddik of the Dar. He was basically the Dar. He was everything. And the way that Ramesh Shara was masked of Avaron was so beautiful. He quoted the Gemara in Sukkah on Daphnon Gimam and Aleph. And the Gemara in Sukkah says, describing the Simchas Pesach Shoeva celebrations in the Mikdash, how the great Nasi, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, he would juggle eight burning torches at once, and not one of them touched each other. Not a single torch overlapped, bumped into each other. That's a pretty good feat. Sometimes you go to a chas and there's a guy juggling fire. How many torches is he juggling? 
maybe three, if he's really good, four. But five, that would be impossible. Six, eight, eight torches of fire simultaneously. That's like crazy. Rabbi Shem Ben Gamliel, the Gemara says, that's what he did. He was able to do it, and not a single one of them bumped into each other. Rabbi Meshashara gives another touch to this Gemara. Besides the Pshutesh Mikra, he says that what it means is that the job of a Nasi, the job of a leader, involves juggling. You have to be a juggler to be a leader. What does that mean? You have so many responsibilities that you have to juggle seamlessly at once. You have to be the Nasi, you have to be the head of Sanhedrin, you have to be able to be a Pesach, you have to be able to be a Tzaddik, you have to have mercy on the people, you have to finance the people, you have to have your family, you have to be married, you have to have, be a father, you have to be a, a son... You have so many obligations that are simultaneous to one another. You have to be the world's greatest juggler to be a Nasi. And not one should be able to touch another. Not one should eclipse another. Not one role should be in any way taking over the role of another. That's what a Nasi needs to do. And this is what he said that Rav Aaron Cutler perfected. Aaron Cutler was the greatest juggler, he said, because he was able to be the Gain amongst Gainim, the Rosh Yeshiva amongst the Rosh Yeshivas. He was able to be the Tzaddik amongst Tzaddikim, the patron of Tyro, the valiant fighter, the man of Chesed, the Isha Emes. He was able to perfect so many Midas at once. The Einachas Megas Bechaverta, not one Midah overtook the other. They weren't competing with one another. It wasn't that he said, okay, I have to be an Ishemes, I have to be Leichem and Lechemes Hashem, I have to fight the battles, and therefore I can't be compassionate. No, he was able to be like the Rabbi Nishleim, Hashem Ishmocham Hashem Shemai. He wasn't saying, well, you know, I'm going to be a Rashiva, but if I'm a Rashiva, I have to put all my Kaifas into Shir, and I can't give my Kaifas to being the head of Chinuch or Tyre Maseri says, no, I'm going to do everything. Okay, but then you can't be a father, can't raise your children, can't raise your Talmudim. Something's got to give. He was able to seamlessly and perfectly juggle all the eight torches, like Roshim Ben Gamliel, and keep them all spinning in the air at once without one touching the other. This is what a Yid is expected to do. Not just the Satmar Rebbe, and not just Rav Shem Azaman Erebach, and not just Rav Shem Ben Yamliel, and not just Rav Yameir Bloch, and not just Rav Aaron Kotler. Every Yid really is a juggler. We do this every day. Look at what you guys do every day in Yeshiva here. You're able to get up in the morning for davening, you're able to daven with Kavana, learn Halacha, learn Gemara Bi'iyan, and then go to lunch, and then be a Talmud, go to Shir. You're able to then go upstairs to English, 
to, to college and do all of your college courses, eat supper, come down to night seder, daven mayrev, chazer shir at night after night seder, do bikiyas, or do your college work, come on Fridays to a shmuz, stay for Shabbos, engage in student government activities, be a son to your parents, be a Talmud to your Abayim, be a sibling to your siblings. That's pretty incredible juggling. It's a lot of juggling. People speak, oh, it's a dual curriculum. It's much more than a dual curriculum. It's eight curriculums at once. You're juggling eight fires. And to have none of them drop on the floor, even though it seems very easy sometimes to do that. Something's got to give. Can't do everything. I can't balance everything. But most, if not all of you, are able to somehow do it. It's amazing. And this is what you do throughout your life. You think it gets easier after you graduate. It's the same thing. Just different. Then you have to be a husband on top of that. And you have to be a father on top of that. And you have to go to work on a subway every day. And, and, and then you have to be at work and engage with people that maybe is not always so easy to, and be an employee, and be an employer, and be a member of a shul, be a member of a community, be a member of a kailal, be a rabbi in a shul. It's everything. It's a balancing act. It's a combination of things. It's a juggling act. And sometimes you have to be angry at one person and then come home and take that anger off your face and be happy in front of your children. And sometimes parnasa is difficult and you don't know how you're going to be able to pay the bills. But you don't want your wife to know that it's difficult or you don't want your children or your parents to know that it's difficult. So you have to put a smile on your face. And sometimes it's going to be a bad day at work and yet you still have a chavrusa and you have to go to the chavrusa or go to the shir at night because that's what you do. And you have to be able to have at the same time a bayam, and at the very same time a shira. Or you have to be able to be an ish mochama at one time and then Hashem Shemai be able to maintain your chesed when dealing with other people. Just because you're in a bad mood Rabbi Shal Salamter once said to somebody, he said it during Elo, I think, to somebody. He said, why do you have such a bad look on your face? You're like, you know, frowning and you're, you look all upset and nervous. He says, what do you mean, Rebbe? It's Elo. You're the one that brought Elo to the world. You should know. Scary times. Elo. Sifre Chaim, Sifre Mason, Sukhum Lafanov. We're getting ready for the Yemadin. I, I look nervous because I'm nervous. And Ibn Salante says, don't you know that your face is a Rishos HaRabim? When somebody sees your face, it's a Rishos HaRabim. Your bad mood should not be evident on your face. You have to put a smile on your face, look happy, make other people happy around you. Otherwise, it's a barb Rishos HaRabim. When somebody sees you nervous and upset, they're going to be nervous and upset. You don't have the right to do that. You have to be able to mamish be an actor. You have to be able to be upset maybe inside. Keep it inside. 
And when you come home or when you go to yeshiva or when you're in front of your Talmidim, put on a nice big smile and pretend that there's no problems. This is what Rabbeim do every day. This is what people that go to work do every day. They can't bring their entire problems into work, into shir, into shul, into a, into a community. You have to keep certain things to yourself. Yes, you have to deal with it. You have to live with it. You can't ignore it. It's there. But as a yid, as a human being, we're expected to be jugglers. And sometimes it's really hard to be a juggler, but you have to learn how to do it. You have to learn how to have dueling emotions, competing interests, many needs that are calling at the same time and be able to answer each individual call. It's only possible because we see that the Rabbi Shalom does this. And if the Rabbi Shalom does it and he lets us know that he's doing it, it means that he is raising the bar and he's telling us that we are able also to do this. Sometimes I, I, I see the, the, the Talmidim in Yeshiva and I'm so impressed. I don't know how you do it sometimes. Because I know what you're going through. Because sometimes people tell me what they're going through at home and they tell me what they're going through in Shidduchim and they tell me what they're going through in college or in Shir and yet you're able to do everything. Able to look normal and act normal and sing Zmiris on Shabbos and to be functional and to be whole and to be just great people with all the competing pressures and stresses of life, even at this young age, and you're able to pull it all together, you're like Rabshim Ben Gamliel, juggling all the fires at once and being able to keep them all in the air somehow. Very, very, very impressive. And it shows leadership. It shows that you are able to be Nesim and Klal Yisrael. You're able to have everything. All of the qualities that you're going to need in life. You're showing that you're able to do it in these formative years. If you're not used to this curriculum, if you're not used to juggling so much, then life is going to be very hard because there will be juggling involved and there will be balancing involved. And many people, you know, college is so hard, so I'm not coming to Seder anymore. I'm not coming to Shear. I'm not coming to Vaden. I'm not coming to the Shmuz. I'm not going to be here. I can't wake up for Davening and do my test papers late at night. I can't. So I'm not going to. That's what some people's attitudes are. But everybody here in this room does not have that attitude. Everybody in this room understands that I have to do everything. I have to do everything. And I'm not going to make excuses for myself. Not. And even if I see my roommates are making those excuses and my friends are, I'm going to be stronger than that. And I'm going to juggle. And I'm going to keep all of the torches in the air. And I'm going to do this not just until I graduate, but for the rest of my life. And I think you owe... You're owed a Divrei Shavach, Shabbat Shira. It's a time to sing Shira, not just for Rabbi Yisrael, but for the people around us to give Shira. And you deserve a tremendous Yashukayat for showing that it's possible, for doing the impossible. 
And my bracha to you is that it should continue all of these kalim that you're showing that you have, this nesius, the ability to be nice, so many comp- competing oils, so many burdens, so many responsibilities on your shoulders and doing it all so well, so beautifully. You should take these tools with you for the rest of your life into marriage, into parenthood, into the world of, of employment, in whatever capacity that may be. Throughout the rest of your life, you should be able to enjoy all of the fruits of your labor because you're able to meld and to combine and to merge all of the many duties that you have all the chayves halvavis, all the chayves eivarim, all the things that you're doing so perfectly. And you're learning these midas, and you're learning these strengths that you have. These should be able to be used to show the Rabbeinu Shalom, to show Klal Yisrael that you are a Nasi, and that you have this ability to lead Klal Yisrael because you can do so much, and you can do it all at the very same time. Have a good chance.